Hi, I'm Andrea, and this is Empowered by Darkness, a podcast for anyone seeking to dive deep into all parts of themselves, especially the darker ones, to become empowered by the integration of these into uncovering your unique expression and purpose. Here we shed light on the self-hatred, the resentment, the need for validation and saving, the fear of being loved, the illusion of power in damaging patterns, and many more topics that will challenge you to bloom wherever you are currently planted. Welcome to your life's work. Take a seat and let's get started. Hi, welcome back. You are tuning in to the second installment on an episode that I recorded on self-hatred. So if you haven't listened to the first part, I really encourage you to do so. I talk about self-hatred related to physical appearance and I share my journey in accepting the way that I look and I touch upon planning various plastic surgeries and not accepting myself because I would compare me to others and there are other facets to this topic that I share that I really think might be useful to you if you are currently on a journey of accepting the way that you look. If you are tuning in today, this is going to be all about accepting one's personality and at the end of the episode I will be sharing my own journey and really coming to terms with what imposter syndrome meant for my life and the ways that I came to understand it and overcome it. So without further ado, I wanted to get started. I am a little bit sick, so my voice might sound different from previous recordings, but I'm hoping it won't be too much of a difference. And I really wanted to start off with something that came to mind right when I was preparing to record this podcast. I know that we're talking about personality, but something that I actually started thinking about was that at some point in my preparation for thinking of starting a podcast, I had this thought come to my mind of disliking my voice, the way that my voice sounded. And obviously, a podcast is all about the voice. You can't really see facial expressions unless you're also recording yourself as you're making these audio recordings. So, I remember at the time when I was having these insecurities about my voice, I stumbled upon somebody's podcast. (laughs) It was so ironic. It was like podcast within a podcast. So I stumbled upon somebody's podcast and this person actually was talking about the creation of a podcast and how one of the insecurities that keeps a lot of people from getting into platforms like this one is the fact that they don't consider their voice to be good enough for people to hear and resonate with. And there's some element of truth to the fact that if somebody is listening to a podcast and they hear the tone of your voice or the way that it sits with them and they just cannot stand the way that it's presented because it's not striking a chord with them or it's just straight out annoying them, 
it can be possible that they will not listen to the message that you're trying to convey and they will just tune you out altogether and look for the next podcast. But what this person shared that really resonated with me was this idea that your voice is not going to be good enough is something that prevents a lot of people from taking this leap of faith with starting a project like this one. And honestly, we tell ourselves many different things about who we are and the way that we present ourselves that prevent us from doing what we want to do. So when I listened to this episode, I really started reflecting on my own belief systems about my voice. And I started going way back into who first told me that my voice was perhaps annoying or if it wasn't suited suitable for a platform like this one. And I came upon different individuals in my life that made me feel that way. But I also started reflecting on the fact that there are so many of us that can tune in to platforms like this one. And my voice and my way of expression is bound to resonate with at least one person. And I know for a fact that now that I have more security in the way that I express myself, that that's even a bigger number. So I wanted to begin with that little anecdote because it's something that is very tied to the way that I came to accept my personality. So if you're currently listening and you have a difficult time accepting the way that you are, I really wanted you to listen to this podcast episode with an open mind because I do talk a lot about the personality trait of sensitivity since it characterizes me and I always try to speak a lot from experience and inform my experience with general you know teachings that can be helpful to all of you as I'm going through this journey of learning about myself and growing with you. I'm not anywhere near the end of self-development. That's not even, I don't think, something that's possible. But I am very much on this journey with you and I'm still growing. And I want, I wanted to come into this topic of hating your personality from obviously this more specific topic of sensitivity, but I wanted to generalize it into just this inability to accept what makes you who you are. So in my life, I have always been a very sensible person. I've always felt my emotions more deeply than others around me. I am not very good with practical things like knowing when to change my car's oil or I struggled for a long time in in really being good at saving money and I used to experience a lot of shame for that. But I'm getting better at acknowledging, you know, these are things that I looked at in other people in my life. Like I grew up with two older brothers, so I really looked up to their way of always kind of excelling in these practical things in life that I considered were more important than my sensitivity or the way that I was able to hold space for someone in a conversation and really listen to them and and provide feedback. So the things that my brothers excelled in, due to the context in which we lived in, you know, we lived in the city of Compton, we lived trying to 
attain upward mobility, knowing that we came from parents that are immigrants and are struggling in jobs that are low paying. You know, we were trying to make their sacrifices worthy, like a lot of kids do when they grow up with parents that are coming from different countries and are trying to make a living, but are also trying to give their kids a good quality of life, like any parent wants. And I share this to show that when we consider that an aspect of ourselves doesn't really have room in our environment to be considered worthy or useful, even just useful, many years I went by considering that my sensible way of viewing people and situations wasn't really something championed by others. When I went to school, everything was very much rigor-based, outcome-based. There wasn't that space for connecting with others in a deep way, in a way that you got to know their life stories and you got to make connections between their way of being and their life experiences. So there was never really that space for me growing up to see what I felt inside of me was this huge part of my personality be exposed and and be given a space to continue to grow in its exposure. And when I looked at my siblings and other people in my life that were really excelling in these practical qualities, I saw that they were championed and I saw the way that others admired them. So naturally, I would have started to shun down parts of my personality that were not aligned with that practical nature. And I'm losing my voice. Did I tell you that I was sick? (laughs) This is showing you that I am. And it's funny because I recorded the same episode two days ago when I was more sick than I am today. And I think my voice actually sounded better than that it sounds now. But the whole purpose of re-recording was for it to sound clearer. And I am actually realizing that it's sounding even more unclear today. But we're going to push through. And I had very deep misconceptions about my personality, about being sensitive. Like, for example, I associated being sensitive with being naive or weak. And one of the ones that I've discovered recently that I did, like, unconsciously, I didn't know that I associated my personality with this characteristic, but recently through therapy and just doing inner work, I've discovered that I associated it with being out of control. So in contrast, I thought that having a lack of sensitivity and being more like solid and hardened in your exterior persona, I associated that with success and with control. And I associated it unconsciously with a way of protecting myself from individuals around me that I didn't really believe could hold my sensitivity and not damage it or take advantage of it. So I wasn't healthily connected to my emotions during this time of wishing to be more like other people in my life that I considered were more accepted. And like I said in the beginning of the episode, even if this topic of sensitivity is not resonating with you and you have something else about your personality that you dislike, 
Perhaps it's, you know, your way of really being overwhelmed easily by other people's problems, which also goes in line with sensitivity, so it might not be the best example. But another thing that you could be grappling with is having like a very carefree nature, being very connected to your environment and and just wanting to be more like outdoors. Perhaps you're spiritual, perhaps you're, you know, you have a, a different idea of what happiness is, of what success is. So you like to be alone and you like to explore and you like to push the limits of your comfort. And other people around you might not, ex- like you might notice that other people around you would not accept you if you were living fully in this expression because we live in a society unfortunately that has very rigid conceptions of what being safe and being successful entail and a lot of the time there's not much room for having this carefree spirit within a society like this one because it's considered dangerous or it could be that it leads to you losing material achievements. So whatever it is that you are struggling to accept and perhaps hating because you've been like me going about most of your life knowing that you have this part of you that just cannot be expressed for whatever reason and you've started to shun it down but you feel resentful because you've had to do so but you don't know how to express that resentment towards others because you consider others to be correct in their way of viewing life because that's just the way that society operates so instead of turning that resentment outwards you've started to turn it inwards and if you find yourself in this space I have a lot of empathy for you because I've I've been in it for a really long time and I can tell you that you still feel a lot of the aspects of your personality that you're not showing like for for a long time I still felt very connected to my emotions I would experience extreme emotions like sadness or anger but I would shame myself for feeling them I would punish myself sometimes I would really put extra responsibilities on myself whenever I felt that I was becoming too emotional or too sensitive and I would pile on like academic responsibilities and work responsibilities because I wanted to do that punish myself for getting carried away in this part of my nature that I didn't think I didn't think needed the expression that I was giving it or you you could do what I did as well for many years. You could numb yourself to feeling like these parts of who you really are are starting to come to the surface. And the ways that I would do that, I've shared in previous podcast episodes, but I would distract myself and numb myself through relationships that were codependent. Or I would just do unhealthy things like, you know, use pornography, use other... Um, people or their friendships too it makes me sad that I used people a lot for numbing and a lot of people do it but now that I look at it in hindsight it's very painful and I've had to go through a period of letting go of shame and guilt 
because that's the last thing I would have wanted to do, having the awareness that I do now, is use somebody else for my own comfort while ignoring everything that's going on with them. But moving on, I that was kind of a side track <laughs> into relationships, but what I mean to say with this is that there wasn't really a sense of flow in my life. So I was always pushing against some metaphorical current when I didn't tune into this intuitive part of me, the sensible part of me. I was always pushing and pushing and and it made me feel good to push against something because I just perceived everyone around me to be doing the same thing. So I thought there must be a desirable outcome at the end of this struggle. But as we all know, there doesn't always have to be. There can be failure. They can't, there can be very deep setbacks in your mental health. And some people push so much throughout their lives that they end up with very horrible chronic disease and other physical ailments that are born from that continuous pushing that they're not even aware that they're doing so forcefully and they're not allowing themselves to experience any flow. So when my consciousness started shifting with my sort of spiritual awakening that I had, I don't even know if I term it spiritual awakening. I've heard people call it that. I think for me it was the way, the simplest way to describe it is just a shift in consciousness and perspective, I really started to challenge my misconceptions of sensitivity. And one of the big ones was that my sensitivity and my inclination for deep connection didn't have a space in the world that I lived in. So I had to start challenging that I've always believed that growing up and into my young adult years. And I had to stop looking for confirmation of that belief everywhere everywhere that I went because there was also, on the flip side, confirmation of the opposite. When I started actually opening myself up to the numerous people that are out there, that are living from their hearts, from their passion to serve others and to have very insightful and connected conversations with others and they're making this part of them their entire careers and their entire purpose and the way that they show up in the world it was very impactful for me to see that there was room for this aspect of myself that I had hated for so long and I really encourage you whatever it is that you are hating about yourself in this moment I encourage you to start looking for confirmation around you of the opposite, which is where is this personality trait of yours being used around the world and you are seeing great joy and great fulfillment coming from it for these people that you're observing and that you're looking for. Sometimes we really have to do a deep dive and search for it because our environments, unfortunately, may not reflect it. Like where I live currently in Compton, I see a lot of daily struggle for having the bare minimum, for being able to 
get out of the community because there are a lot of a lot of struggles that the community goes through that aren't really broadcasted in the news because they're not as extreme as having perhaps a shooting or having you know robberies but they are extreme in the sense that you know the community is struggling with the streets not being paved or there not being more food drives things that are more minute in the sense that they're not as extravagant and and flamboyant and being shown to have views but there's daily struggles that we are having and there's not a lot of room within that daily struggle and that need for survival to champion sensitivity or champion empathy even though we need it within that context we need people that are at the food drives that are taking some time to listen to the stories of the people that are coming there for a meal. But I share that example to show that even if within your community that you are in, in this moment, you cannot see space for your personality, there is space around the world for it. There is space perhaps in the city closest to the city that you're in. And you, since you haven't ventured out perhaps that far, you haven't been able to perceive it and I encourage you to to look because it's important for us when we're feeling so trapped by a certain trait that we have it's important for us to search for confirmation that that trait can be accepted but not only that not only just accepted but it can thrive in this world so when I started doing that I had this like opening inside of me of starting to see that my personality trait that I disliked, it didn't even have to touch platforms like this podcast, which if you think about it, my sensible nature, I don't even know how to describe it without using the word sensible. I feel like I keep using it throughout this podcast episode, but what I mean by by it is just this more like deep connection to our emotions like I've always been somebody that really likes to think deeply likes to be connected to this intuitive part of who we are when I when you think about it this whole podcast operates from that personality trait of mine but it doesn't even have to touch the podcast to be significant like I could be using it to talk to strangers at a bus stop and I assure you that I will be having an impact in the stranger that I share a conversation with because I can hold space for him or her because I can be the safe container for them to express whatever is happening in their lives and not a lot of people do that in fact many people don't do that because we are so concerned with our own individual lives and we are constantly moving and also I can bring this to where I work where I study I can bring it to a hospital like when I did so when my mom was ill and we were constantly living at the hospital with various appointments and surgeries that she had to have. So if you bring this this personality trait of yours wherever you go and you bring it consciously, I can assure you that it's going to strike a chord in someone. And when you perceive that, you're going to start looking at it differently, at your way of being differently. So lastly, 
what helped me come to an acceptance of of myself and my personality was going to therapy. So when I went to therapy and I started taking therapy seriously, like about two years ago, yes, I was struggling with my insurance and not being able to afford therapy without having health insurance. Um, when I actually started having coverage and I went to therapy consistently, I began to find a lot of respect for different parts of my personality that before I'd considered just the norm. And let me explain. So before growing up, um, I experienced a lot of trauma at home. There was abuse at home, both verbal and emotional. And I, I adopted these ways of coping that were bred from my persona, like my personality traits that are deeply a part of who I am from the moment I was born. So what I mean by this is that in order to cope with having a parent that was constantly screaming and being offensive and could be dangerous, I would be very perceptive to the parent's emotions, to the parent's change in physical gestures. I was tuned in to that parent's every move because I had kind of this sensitivity that I already came with through my childhood, but I also, it was more highly attuned due to the circumstances that I was in. So when I was a child, this was my way of surviving. I didn't think there was much to it further than the fact that it helped me get through some of the hardest years of my life. As an adult, looking back at it through a therapy session and having somebody else tell me, these are characteristics of yourself that not everyone has. You know, they are, like like the therapist shared this with me. She said, I see it now in the way that you present yourself, that you still carry this this way of being able to perceive what others are, what others are sharing and respond in an empathetic way and, and really listen to what the other person is, is saying. And the therapist shared that even though these traits helped me survive, now that I've finally been able to escape the danger that was presented by my parent now that he's left, You know, they are very much a part of me and they can be of service to others and they're needed in the world. That's kind of what I needed to hear, that this personality trait of mine is needed in the world because for so long I didn't think it was. And it really boils down to that. Ask yourself this question in this moment. Do you think that this trait of yourself that you are hating Do you think it's needed in the world? Do you think it's not even just the world in general? Do you think it's needed by the people that are in your life? And I assure you that you're probably thinking if you are in a self-hatred space at this time, I assure you that you're thinking it's not needed. And that is where a lot of the hatred stems from. Since you don't think it's needed, you shun it down and you resent yourself whenever you feel it wanting to be expressed because you know that there's no space for it. So when the therapist made me finally realize that there was a need for this part of myself that I didn't comprehend for a long time, 
I started shifting my view of being sensitive. And most of the episodes of this podcast are really bred from me allowing myself to sit in my emotional body and reflect on these topics, reflect on the topic of self-hatred, reflect on the topic of relationships. And when I reflect, I see my past experiences informing the reflections that I come about. And they come about in a way that is healing for me and that I know is being healing in some capacity for somebody listening, even if it's just one person. So I started seeing over time that being sensible was not a weakness. And on the contrary, it was inhabited by some of the strongest of the individuals that I knew because they had been forced to integrate their sensitivity into their way of showing up in life. And when you are sensitive and you show up in life, there are a lot of people that can take advantage of that sensitivity. So childhood me that started thinking about these things, started fearing being sensitive because she felt like somebody could take advantage of her, she wasn't altogether incorrect. There is an element of truth to that. If you are sensitive and if you're able to take in so much energy and and so much emotional baggage from somebody that's sharing or dumping it all on you, you can be hurt by that. And somebody can even go further and hurt you if you're sensitive in the sense that they can manipulate you into doing things that are hurtful towards you physically, not just emotionally. But what I had to come to terms with was that if I saw so many people in my life, first, there was proof in my environment, even if it wasn't my direct environment. There was proof that people were living from this personality trait and they were being successful in the sense that they were finding happiness. If there was proof of that, they had to have figured out a way to take care of themselves while exposing this deeply intimate core personality trait. So the answer to how they did that was boundaries. They had to learn to be sensible and really put this forth in their work, show their heart and be connected to others deeply, but also have this awareness that they had to protect themselves by setting important boundaries and making sure that they were giving from a full cup. And we hear that expression a lot. Don't give from an empty cup, you're going to be drained. But it's true. If you have thought back to a point in your life in which you have overgiven and you have felt yourself depleted, and you have felt yourself start to grow in resentment because the other individual was not giving as much as you are, if you, in that moment, took a second to go back to yourself, perhaps through a meditation, perhaps through doing something that you love, like cooking a favorite dish of yours, or just tuning into a show that you really love and that makes you feel safe, you would start seeing that the resentment starts to fade a little bit because you're doing something for you. You're returning the attention to you. And that's one of the biggest things of living with sensitivity and operating from it and still being able to protect yourself. You have to find that balance of being able to continue checking in with yourself and 
and setting important boundaries with people that want to take advantage because there's always going to be somebody that does lean towards that shadow aspect of of wanting to take more than what is given from a full heart. And that's a difficult concept to understand when you're giving so much and you're wanting to help and you still have somebody that wants to take more because they're they're battling with their own shadow and perhaps they're battling with selfishness, with greed, with manipulation, and that's their own journey. But you can do something for yourself in that moment and enforce boundaries that continue to help you champion that personality trait instead of shunning it out altogether because you started expressing it and somebody took advantage of it. So then out of nowhere you came, not out of nowhere. So then suddenly you came to this realization of my new belief system is I cannot be sensitive because someone's going to take advantage of it. And then all, all out of, you know, thin air that you started having confidence in your sensitivity. Now you have this desire to shun it down altogether and feel unsafe in it. So you have to start in some sense, really paying attention to the belief systems that come from that initial expression, because some of them are going to want to push you towards shutting it out again. But it's important to ask the question of why you feel that way. And if you can, in fact, do something, if there's something in your power for it to continue to be expressed in a safe manner for you and for anyone that you care about. So, whereas in my life, my sensible nature was something that I felt like I needed to suppress for a long time and that I didn't comprehend, my ability to achieve academically was something that I knew I had control over, at least for the duration of my education all the way to high school. I felt like there was an element of control that I had with this part of my life that I didn't have with others. For example, my, my home situation. So I wanted to shift gears to the imposter syndrome segment of this episode, which will conclude it. Because it's kind of the direct opposite of what I just started sharing about hating this part of my personality. Over time, I started to hate the fact that I felt this control over my education. But at the same time, I felt powerless being in classroom settings in which I really should have felt like I was good enough to be there, like my peers. And I I should have felt like my observations were worthy and that they were going to be championed and at the very least just given a space to be accepted even if they were incorrect. But I didn't feel that way for so long and I felt like an imposter for the the time that I started getting into more advanced places. Like when I got accepted into a high school that was not in my community. It was my first time venturing outside of Compton and when I got accepted into an elite um, liberal arts school, that was another moment in which I kept escalating in this ladder of educational excellency. And I don't even know if excellency is a word. I think it is. But as I started escalating in this ladder, I felt my imposter syndrome grow. When I was in college classes, I would feel physical sensations of anxiety when I would share something in class and it was not social anxiety because I was 
fairly comfortable having group discussions and having discussions outside of class with my peers. But what was so anxiety-filled for me during those moments of raising my hand and answering a question posed by the professor was this feeling of everyone's going to know. Everyone's going to know that I don't know what I'm talking about. The thoughts going through my mind were everyone's going to know that I am insecure about what I'm about to share. Or my professor's going to think that they made a mistake in accepting me in this course. Many thoughts went through my mind and they manifested in very, like, I had heart palpitations, my hands would be sweaty, my voice would crack every time I would answer a question. And it was surreal to me to realize that I was the only one that was experiencing that in most of my classes. I had students in the classes that were so confident every time they would speak. They would raise their hands multiple times during the class when I was just trying to raise my hand at least one time so I would get my participation in for the day. But I really wanted that one time that I spoke to be good, to be deemed worthy by the professor. So when I noticed that my peers would raise their hands and would share like the most casual of observations, I would feel this kind of tinge of disbelief inside of me of how can they do that so confidently? I don't feel like I could do that. And it was funny to me because every time I would share something, since I I went to a liberal arts school, we would do a lot of readings. I would always back whatever I would share with multiple observations from very respected thought leaders in the field because I didn't trust that I could say something that came to my mind when the teacher was speaking and share it. I thought, this has to be wrong. Like, this has to be an out there comment. Like, it's not going to be accepted. So I I have to, like, flip through this reading to find something that I can piggyback off of because I, I cannot expose what I'm really thinking, what I'm really feeling about a topic. And whenever I would do that, I would feel so much anxiety. It was crazy looking back at it. So this feeling of not being enough, it honestly made my college experience feel like I was constantly limiting myself. And it wasn't until I graduated that I realized, well, I could have done so much more. I could have been involved in this club or I could have published for this paper. I could have had more conversations with my teachers about topics that were honestly fascinating for me. I studied international relations, so there were many things that were relevant to my day-to-day life and just experiences that I've had in where I was born in Mexico. So I, I was fascinated by what I was learning and I, if you think about it, I had this unique life experience le- leading up to where I ended up in. I ended up in a liberal arts school that was primarily, it was a white population, and a lot of these kids were very wealthy. So where I came from was just the complete opposite of, of where they were coming from. And at the time, I think that added to my imposter syndrome. I didn't believe that I was worthy of being there, even though... I I had achievements that made me stand out. 
I wouldn't have been given a seat at these these classrooms if somebody didn't look at my profile and think she could do it. She could she could blend in to this environment. But it didn't struck me that way. I think for a while I felt like I just needed to lay low and not have anyone perceive that the way that I felt. Because I, I thought, like, somebody has to be seeing that I don't belong here. And I feel like a lot of people that experience imposter syndrome, it it stems from obviously more deeply rooted, oftentimes in childhood. It stems from feelings of unworthiness and, and very um, deep perfectionism that you have to abide to, to be safe. It stems from that, but it also stems from your community and, and just... The nature of where you come from. Both of my parents, like I mentioned before, they only studied until the third grade. So oftentimes they didn't come to functions that were organized by the school and and no one really knew at the school my background. No one was aware of the struggles that I had that were very specific to me. Like I couldn't afford some of the books at school. I had to work two jobs when I was there because I couldn't afford to pay my part of the tuition. It was just a lot. And many of my friends, even friends, you know, friends didn't know, even though they they considered that they were close to me, they didn't know that I was struggling with these things. So that kind of all compounded to add to this feeling of, wow, I cannot show who I really am in these classrooms. So I feel like I'm not enough most of the time because I and holding myself to this measurement of how everybody else I perceive to be doing. But I, I will never reach that bar of that these students are in. Like, I'm, I'm holding them to this, such a high esteem that I can never reach it because I constantly consider myself to be an outsider, an outlier in what I consider to be a very perfect formula for the school's success. So... I share all of this to share a couple of things that started shifting my view on imposter syndrome and the way that I saw myself in, in positions of, of more achievement and, and more success academically. One of the things that I was shocked by when I got further into academia was observations that my teachers would make about me. Whenever they would share the way they saw me, I would be in complete shock. <laughs> and I'm sure that a lot of people that are listening that have imposter syndrome, if somebody that knew you, that knew your work, not even just in school, you know, it could be uh, imposter syndrome is everywhere. It's probably in your workplace. If somebody in your workplace shared the way that they viewed you, the way they viewed your work ethic, just the way that you present yourself, I can assure you that it would be completely different from the way you see yourself. And when professors would share with me that I had some of the most thoughtful comments in class, that I was always prepared, that they learned from what I shared. For me, that was shocking when I first heard that. I was like, you guys are learning from what I'm sharing? <laughs> I thought I thought that I was literally, every time I would talk, I'd be like, oh, that was just such, I don't want to, I don't want to well, it's not swearing, such bullshit. Like I would be sharing something, I'm like, oh, I could have done better. What was I thinking when I said that? They must think I'm stupid. And hearing them say these things about myself, and eventually they didn't even just touch upon my work in class. 
they touched upon my character as a person. They, they shared, I love your work ethic. I love the way that you help others in class. They felt surreal comments about me. And I started, like, the gear started turning in my mind. I'm like, if, if more than one professor is sharing this, it has to be something that more than just they are perceiving. Like, other people have to be perceiving it too. But one thing that happened in my life that was super impactful that I share in the book that I published is this experience that I had with academic dishonesty. So in my third year of college, I was accused of academic dishonesty for a paper that I wrote in which I plagiarized. And it was the final paper for an English class. And I remember I unconsciously plagiarized because I wasn't aware when I was writing it that I was using somebody else's words. But when you're writing a paper and you have like, you look over so many sources, you, when you're crafting an argument, and if it's a long paper, it's even worse. I'm not defending myself, but this is just kind of what was going through my mind when I was doing it. I, I used somebody else's words that I had read when I was preparing to write it unconsciously but I just thought that they were better than what I was thinking that I would use from my own lingo. Like, I ended up using somebody else's, and I didn't cite them. And my professor brought this up to my counselor, and I was accused of of academic dishonesty, and I was put on probation. So I had to let my mother know about this. My counselors knew about this. Professors knew about this. My, my world, it feels dramatic, but my world honestly felt like it came crashing down. Because when you place so much worth on a certain part of who you are, like the little worth that I placed on my sensitivity, I like overdid it with my academic achievement. I just, I thought that was who I was. If you asked me then, who is Andrea? I would have told you a college student that is working toward a successful career. That was it. So when I was told by professors that, you know, I was a cheater, it all came tumbling down. And I felt like I was being exposed to my mother, who I really wanted her to see that I was worthy. And I wanted her to see that her sacrifices were were worth it. And all of a sudden, you know, I came to this point of, wow, I don't know if I'm actually cut out to be a student or to be successful at all like because from education there was going to be in my mind upward mobility through a good paying job and and a career maybe one day I could be admired by somebody due to how good I am doing in my set pathway in my career those were my thoughts so when I like stumble upon this rock on the road which was a very big rock it felt like I couldn't change somebody's perception of myself from from that accusation. It felt like I had to work really hard to do so. But I also felt like, is it even worthy? Is it even worth it for me to do X, Y, and Z to change their perception? I felt like I couldn't. And I meditated a lot about what to do. So I came to this realization that I was going to do something so simple, but that actually was monumental. And that I would share with my counselor what was my background. I told him, like, I feel so embarrassed that this happened because I, for all of my life, I have worked so hard to be here and I have doubted myself multiple times. 
and to still be in the classrooms, to still be part of the environment, and to have this negative chatter in my mind of, you are not good enough, you're going to fail, you're going to be seen as stupid, and to have it be reinforced by this accusation of academic dishonesty, I feel like I've fulfilled like this prophecy for myself that I formed that I thought would never come true, but actually did. So I shared with my counselor through an email, like, this is who I am, and it feels excruciating to be going through this because I feel like everything that I feared is becoming a reality, and I feel like you see me now as someone that's worthless. I literally share that word by word. So when my counselor replied and and he he told me that these mistakes happen to, to everyone, you know, maybe he shared in the email, maybe it happened for you to finally be more outspoken about who you are and to bring that to education because it's it's such a huge part of who you are so why not bring your background to it and he encouraged me to just you know kind of dust it off in the best way that I could and move forward and and prove that I wasn't a cheater and prove that I my work ethic was always going to be with me no matter what happened and that I would recover from it and come out wiser and more well-rounded from it in my approach to education. So I did what he said, you know, I worked hard, I got out of probation, and yeah. I mean, no one would know that I was accused of, of this beside my mom and my counselors and my teachers if I didn't share it on platforms like this one or my book. But I honestly don't care about how anyone perceives me when sharing that I was accused of being a cheater. I don't care about it now because I know that I've come a long way from it. But if I would have shared it when it was happening, I would have felt like everybody would see me as unworthy because I didn't have a sense of worth outside of my education. And a lot of the times that w that's what happens too with imposter syndrome. You feel it so strongly because you base your worth entirely on this part of yourself, like your work position or your education attainment, anywhere that you are considering yourself to not be good enough, you know, you obviously consider that place in which you're inhabiting to be a huge part of who you are. So in my path to reframing that for me, you know, this isn't like education is obviously important because I'm only 23 years old and it's been huge in my life. Like I've, like physically, I've dedicated a lot of my days to it. It's not everything. Like I've also lived a life separate from it. I've lived my home life and I've lived, you know, realizations that I've had outside of it. And I had to start bringing that forth to start realizing that I could not put so much focus on, on, and on being success successful or lacking that success in this part of my life that was transitory in many ways. So I wanted to end with sharing what happened to me years later after being accused of, of this dishonesty in education. I had an experience in which I was interviewing for a graduate school in therapy to become a therapist. And it was a group interview. And one of the questions in the interview that I was most nervous about was a case study. So we would have to read a case study about um, a student and really acknowledge it and, and see how we would respond to it as a therapist and how we would help other people understand it too. So the case study 
was, ironically, about a student facing imposter syndrome. And I cannot lie to you, when I was reading the case study, everything that the student was going through was word by word what I'd experienced. And people around me that I was discussing the case study with, like the other interviewees, they were shocked at the fact that somebody could have like physical sensations in their body from being anxious to share and to open up. And I could just relate so deeply to everything that I was reading that I was like, well, I can't believe I'm coming full circle to talk about an experience that characterized all of my education. So it was really special to me to see how coming from this place of, yes, I went through that and this is how I would overcome it. This is how I would help the student overcome it based on how I did it. I didn't share that word by word, but I just kind of touched upon it in my interview. I said, you know, this is something very real and I went through it. And if I were to put myself in the position of a therapist, this is how I would help the student go through this part of their lives and come out of it admiring their story and, and coming forth with a new understanding of what education means to them. So for me, what ended up tying a resolution for the self-hatred that I felt for my personality, but also my imposter syndrome, was coming to this finding of my personal power and my purpose and my personal story. So I had to look at the things that I'd been through to understand why I was made the way that I was, why I thought the way that I did, and why I listened in the way that I did. And it was in being transparent and real with myself that I finally started to find admiration and something to hold on to. And I know that it would only continue to grow with time because I'm going to continue to face these dark aspects of myself that I'm transmuting and releasing, outdated belief systems, you name it. But if I am gentle with these aspects that are coming to the surface, if they're in the surface to begin with, it means that there's growth happening. Sometimes when we feel so overwhelmed by emotions that are arising, we think that we're digressing in our healing and in our path of growth, but the reality is the opposite. If you're feeling them so deeply, it means that they're finally able to be close to a resolution. Because when something is stagnant and in your body and and you're not even able to sense that it's there, it means that you've suppressed it and tried to ignore it for so long that it cannot even come to a point of being acknowledged. So if you're feeling something very deeply right now and you're going through moments of feeling overwhelmed by it, it's a sign that you're moving in the direction of healing and, and recovering from this. So if you're currently listening and you're finding yourself throughout this episode feeling some kind of tension or, or shame because you're not able to be further in your journey of self-hatred and, and toward acceptance of yourself, if you find that you're feeling this tension for not being able to be there, I want to share something with you. When I listen to podcasts in my own path, because you know I love podcasts and they help me a lot in my growth, I would feel that tension too. I would think, wow, these people are way f- like ahead of me in their way of viewing themselves and, and their lives. And I would start experiencing feelings of being not enough. So I would already feel like I wasn't enough and then this would just compound that for me. But something that I had to realize was 
these individuals that I was admiring, they are going through perhaps difficulties in something that I've reached a further place in. So perhaps they're struggling with relationships. They're going through a divorce. They're going through a major breakup, you name it. And I am coming to a place in my relationships in which I have grown a lot and I have healed and I've come to important epiphanies. And um, perhaps, you know, I'm further ahead of them in that area, but I just cannot face this imposter syndrome yet like they have done it. It's like, it's always a relative situation. I am sure that you are further ahead in things that I haven't even began to address. And it's not a race. It's just coming to things at your own perfect timing because it's always going to be like that. You're only going to come to them when you're ready to come to the realizations and the growth and the epiphanies. And I am sure that it will come exactly when it needs to. So I wanted to end this episode really emphasizing that you are going to come to these realizations and growth when it is the right time for you, for your journey and your purpose. And if you've listened this far, thank you. I am so thankful for you being here and sharing this space with me. And I am sending you so much love and all of my best wishes for the rest of your day. Thank you. Bye. There is no right time to begin working on the parts of ourselves we may have neglected for the majority of our lives. If you're here, it is for a reason. I am so proud of you for asking the tough questions and delving into what comes with these. May you find the deepest healing and transformation on this path. Thank you.